0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots
1: this is the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast where we explore the design development and business of great products i'm your host chad pytel
0: and i am also your host lindsey christensen
1: and with us today is jen Derry, founder of plucky jen welcome back to the show
2: Hi! Thanks so much for having me. It's fun to have three people on this this time.
1: Hey, it's going to be so exciting.
0: Yes, this is my first time getting to chat with you, so uh, I've heard good things, and I'm looking forward to it.
1: Are you prepared to bear your soul, Lindsay, to to Jen, like I did on our last episode?
0: No, I'm terrified. <laughs> Which, in
2: a sense, is bearing my soul. I should totally just send like a gift pack of Kleenex and, you know, some candies to suck on afterwards to feel better. Management survival pack. Yeah, seriously. Some sort of like recoup situation before your next meeting.
1: Well, for those of you who are wondering what we're talking about, Jen was previously on the show. It's episode 270. So you can get that at giantrobots.fm. And one of the things that we did there is you work with people to improve their one-on-ones and as managers. And so we sort of did a little bit of a one-on-one with me where we talked about life business, everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. Also, I feel that I should illuminate for those that did not listen to that episode. I am not a scary person that just makes people weep all the time. But in truth, and and this is like a good underpinning for some one on one guidance. It's kind of amazing what people tell you and how they feel like they can talk to you when you are not multitasking. <laughs> like when you are sitting and listening and genuinely uh engaged in the content of what they're sharing with you. And as Chad said, I'm a coach, I'm a leadership coach, and I also run trainings for new managers. And it is amazing how actually a lot of the content that we're talking about is just really simple human dynamic stuff. So the reason that I think people respond so well to just listening is that it's so rare these days. And, you know, I don't want to go into a whole diatribe on phones and and our distractions, but I don't know. It's There's something really graceful about the fact that if you're just focused on what someone is saying, you can get a lot out of that conversation.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I was distracted. I was looking mm. at my phone.
2: Uh, probably on Reddit. Yeah. No, it's I'm cool. kidding. Be cool. Be cool. So
1: <laughs> I think it's you know worth restating that. And I, I do make a point of you know putting away the phone. Mm-hmm. I often close the computer, although we use a product called 15.5 mm-hmm. for one-on-ones. But what I've done is I would rather just close the computer and update that later if I can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I find that one tough. I I haven't been able to make that leap yet from taking my one-on-one notes in mm-hmm. Evernote to I'm sure the, the recommendation is probably notebook and then transfer to whatever mm. you have online. It just seems
2: so efficient. Oh my gosh, girl. Listen, the truth is that if everybody needed to transcribe everything from a conversation later, it would never happen as it doesn't. So I would not necessarily recommend you know, no screen, no whatever. But I do think that you can experiment with it, right? So you can say, hmm, I think for the month of October, I'm going to try not taking notes until the last five minutes. And I'm going to leave a timer on my phone or my watch or whatever I've got to remind me hey, this is the moment in the conversation where we're both going to take out our phones and Evernote docs. And we're going to say, okay, hold up. What did we talk about? Okay, right. Okay, you're going to get me that. One of my takeaways is this. And you can sort of pull that together. Try that. See how that works. If you're a notebook person, by all means, great. But Many a detailed report has died in a moleskin. <laughs> like <laughs> right. many a paperwork trail has died on a random scrap of paper that somebody used along the way. Nobody ever has time to put them in Google Docs. I get it.
0: That is a great tip. You're good. I, li- I like <laughs> the uh, last Boom. five Pass the test.
2: Yeah, already. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what I would say about that last five minute is it's also a gentle cue to the person that you're meeting with that, hey, something is moving on in our agenda here. Right now, we're moving to a period of time where we are going to spend whatever it is, five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever your practice would be, to say we're going to get intentional about making what we just talked about very tactical and tangible. And that's really good for them to see too, right? Hey, the reason I'm pulling out my phone right now is because this is the part where we do that. And just the explicit nature of that I think is really I don't know it's helpful.
1: It's also helpful because I think sometimes it's easy for a one-on-one to run over not because it's mm-hmm. actually important that it run runs over cuz sometimes you can get especially if you're talking about something that the person feels a lot about you can start going in circles at the end and so having right. that reminder right. of oh you know it's 5 minutes until we're supposed to end let's shift gears and get out of this cycle of going back and forth, and come up with an action item, yeah. or just record the notes. I, I really like that too. I could see that just moving some people along who are who are stuck, or me along if I get stuck in a in a, in a cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that is a challenge I feel around. You know, are we circling around something we've talked about enough? versus I want to give you the space to feel like you can talk about this as much as you need.
2: Yeah. Well, I think both of you are bringing up really what it is to be a coach, actually, right? So that there is the very real possibility that in a 55-minute coaching session, if I wasn't good at my job, we could end up at 57 minutes with literally nothing accomplished other than maybe some venting. Right. And so there's ways to think about the structure of a conversation without being like, okay, now's the time that you stop being emotional and we start putting (laughs) tickets in. Right. (laughs) Like, There's a lot of gentle ways to do that. And so the higher level of a, a coaching session, this is funny, I've never really talked about this, but at least in my mind is the first five to 10 minutes for me of an hour long session is catch up. What happened since last time I talked to you? Was there homework that you were like gonna go away and think about or even some action steps you took? What happened with that? Right. It's kind of like catching up on the last episode of a TV show. What happened to those characters (laughs) since last time? Then around the, again, five to 10 minute mark, I get a gut sense for whether we need to process any of that stuff still, whether any of that is still lingering, like this is still hurtful or this is still motivating or you know whatever the emotion might be. And so if we need to, we can spend some more time. But really about that 10 minute mark, I say, okay, this is all such good stuff. What do you wanna talk about today? And I bring it to a head by really just asking that question. And that's the cue to my client to say, Oh yeah. Well, you know, I still am so muddled with this concept. I I think I do want to spend more time on this or right. Great reminder. Actually, this is not what I want to spend our time on today. I had this other situation happen or I have this other problem or opportunity, whatever it is uh, that I wanted to focus on. And so that's my gentle cue to them to say, I'm here if you want to keep going on this, but I want to make sure that we use your space well. And then towards the end, again, maybe five minutes before the end or eight, depending on how the conversation's flowing, there's the moment for me to say, okay, so we're getting close to time and I want to just introduce like a good opportunity for homework might be that you need to practice some risks till I talk to you next, or might be that you need to have that hard conversation with so-and-so. How does that feel? And then we work out the logistics of, okay, I'm going to do this by this date. Here's how I'm going to tell you that I did it, Jen, and, and those sorts of things. And then we can kind of gracefully come towards 55 minutes. I will also admit that many a time we're at 54 minutes and I wish that I had another half hour, you know, but that's, that's humans. That's why I like my job.
1: It strikes me that this is also probably what a good therapy session <laughs> works like.
2: Mm.
0: I was actually just thinking that I don't know if either of you saw, there was an article that came out a couple of weeks ago in the wall street journal that was basically like, are executive coaches actually therapists? (laughs) Like, do do executives just really need more therapy?
2: Uh, Yeah. Well, a lot of that is above (laughs) my pay grade, right? I, I am not in the therapy business, although I did consider that when I started Plucky, like, should I just go that direction? I have also had therapy and I've had coaches. And I would say that the market difference for me, and this might just have been my experience in both was that in therapy, I felt like the therapist was quite a bit more invisible in the conversation, right? So she was there, she was taking notes and she was maybe prodding with some questions sometimes, but a lot of it was for me to kind of work through and I find coaching much more active. Mm. So I'm going to push back on you and I'm going to say things like, well, that's really interesting because let's remember like three months ago, you brought up a very similar problem. Is there a pattern? Do you notice that, right? And then the homework aspect Again, it could be just personal experience, but in therapy for me, that was more nebulous or up to me to kind of drive. And as a coach, sometimes I can really see a piece of homework, like kind of forming as a person works through something. And I think we talked about this last time, Chad, I am from New York, but I live in California. So I feel like I have this good blend of, I want you to emotionally be fine and excited about everything at work. And I'm also like, okay, how are we going to make the money at work? Right? Like, how do we also keep the business afloat? And I feel like that in my coaching sessions too. I want you to feel all the feels. I want you to process everything, but I, also really want you to move forward. Because if not, this can quickly seem like a waste of time and money, frankly.
0: Yeah, that's a really good distinction that in business, you do have this kind of concrete outcome uh, that you're working towards, which is very different than just sort of generally being mentally healthy.
2: Yeah. And I think both are needed, right? Both are good resources for different seasons and different situations in your life.
1: So what have you been up to since you, you were last on the show, Jen?
2: Oh, Chad, what have I not been up to? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, I think that a couple of big things are that Plucky just turned six last month. And Congratulations. Thank you. I was talking about this metaphorically with my husband about how it felt like to have a six-year-old as a company. I also happen to have a seven-year-old son and a four-year-old son. So I track a lot of things as kid years. And my son, when he turned six, it started to become a little more possible for me to do work in the other room. And like he could watch a TV show by himself or, you know, those things. And I said to my husband, I feel like Plucky can watch a show in the other room while I do work. And (laughs) what I mean by that is that my business as a six year old, there are some things that can happen without my minutes, like without a billable hour. And that's really exciting. And, and you know one of those things is that we have some products now for Plucky. So the one-on-one starter pack came out a couple years ago now, which is a pack of cards for new managers or really any manager to use with their reports. And I think the concept behind that was mostly with ICs, individual contributors, but it of course can be for any human. And then on Plucky's birthday this year, we released a one-on-one manager pack. So that is primarily for managers of managers, so more senior leadership and both of those products as well as our our other products we have some weekend talk stuff that stuff just sells while i'm sleeping i'm not buying a bay area house on the sales of that but it is you know an extra line of income and that has been so curious and and interesting to watch i've also got this training called so now you're a manager and i just can't believe it but we're about to do our 10th one of those next month. And that was something that I had a vision of very early in plucky. Like that was my first Google doc. I started, I named it. So now you're manager. And I wasn't sure, is this just a blog post I want to write? Is it an e-course? Is it a, a conference? And, uh, it took me a few years to get that off the ground. A lot of life stuff happened. I was sick. I had another kid. And finally I thought, all right, I'm just going to do it. And so in the summer of 2017, we did the first one in New York, and now we're about to do the 10th one. And Plucky is capable. And I, I feel like I've built a foundation that it really took, let's say, five and a half years to feel like I had under me. But I'm feeling very curious and motivated and also for maybe the first time, very stable with it.
1: That's great to hear. Do you have anybody helping you with Plucky these days?
2: Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I hired a part-time assistant. Her name is Holly and Holly, she's in grad school right now, but she helps let's say five to 10 hours a week. Uh, She does all the mailing for the products. And then she also handles all my scheduling for my coaching clients. And as often as she can, she attends. So now your manager events and assists on site, but actually with the next one coming up in Austin, she is unable to go because of grad school stuff. And so I'm trying out a new thing where there's One of our alumni of the program is going to come and assist. And this starts to get into where I'm going to be taking some risks, I think, in the next few years with Plucky. And I don't know, just trying this on for size where I really value the community that has come out of this. They don't just come to the workshop and then I never talk to them again. They're all put in the Slack channel. We talk on a regular basis and I send monthly emails to them with some manager resources and just general kind of keep going, buddy, you know, (laughs) vibes. So what's interesting to me is how to keep that community going, maybe even one day without my involvement all the time, right? And so having an alum come to assist and he's going to run one or two of the practices over the couple of days, I days, I think it'll be a good experiment. We'll see how it goes. So those are happening all over the country, it sounds like? Yes, they are. This year was Berkeley, D.C., Seattle, Austin, San Francisco- And next year, we're still shaping up, but we'll try to be in all those places. I would love to do one in Europe. I know there's a lot of people are always like, when are you coming to Europe? I'm like, oh my God, get me a babysitter and I'll totally be there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How
0: do you choose? Are you kind of going where you're getting the most demand? Good question.
2: Some of it has to be that, right? Like I know an East Coast one will almost always sell out. And I try not to be too much in one area. So it felt good to have Berkeley home. You know, I didn't have to travel for it. And then DC, we sold that one out pretty quickly. And then Seattle was a city I hadn't been to, but some of this is also based on who's able to offer me space. So what some of your listeners may not know is that I've only actually paid for event space two times, I think, in all of the 10 trainings that I've done. I just trade two tickets usually for event space. And so agencies or startups or other companies have been able to to make that trade with me and that's really helpful for us because we feel like in someone's home we feel like we are hosted by someone i'm able to promote that company and that brand as a partner as someone who's being thoughtful about management leadership and vice versa then they're getting two free tickets to the event and we're able to then ask their operations manager or whoever normally orders lunch hey where should we order catering from and we don't have to worry about yelp reviews or anything we just go right to the source so sometimes it's a little serendipitous you know someone a couple years ago offered me, he said, I'm sure you would never want to come to Dayton, Ohio to do this, but we've got great event space. And just the fact that he said it like that, Lindsay, it made me be like, you know what? We're doing Dayton. And so that was the big (laughs) one. We, We did Dayton, Ohio.
0: That's awesome. That's a great tip. That's one of my favorite hacks too, is secure a speaker for an event. And then ask if they can host the actual (laughs) event, Uh, because chances are their marketing or communications people will be like, yeah, we'll figure it out to, you know, Mm -hmm. it's great that they're speaking. Let's figure out how to make it a platform and get more of our brand in front of people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I will also say that as a mom of young kids, there's a lot of conferences I would love to be applying to speak at right now but half of them are in Australia. And like a lot of the other ones are just these random dates that I have no control over. So it will mean things for my kids' school calendars and stuff like that. And so, so now your manager has also allowed me to travel and have a presence in a lot of different cities, but kind of on my own terms. And that has been very empowering as a working mom. That's amazing. Can you
0: talk a little bit about the structure of uh, what the workshop
2: offers? Yeah, sure. So it's two days, and the reason it's two days is really for that second morning. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that I think one day can sometimes, like you've got people, but you know they're going to be out at some point later in the day. So they might leave early, or just their attention is not as deep. And what I find is that with a two-day structure, we often you know suggest getting drinks or food after the first day if people are not introverted and need to go sleep. So a lot of people come out. And by the second morning, it feels like we know each other and we can go really fast the second day through stuff. The first day, there's a lot of getting to know each other and that's my job, right? My job is to hold the room and make sure that everybody is feeling safe and comfortable and start to share some vulnerability stuff. Because good leadership is nothing if not the ability to say, this is hard for me and If you can say that to a room full of people who are also finding it hard, it is so validating and so supportive. And that's underneath the content, what's going on from my vantage point. In reality, what the content is about on the first day is figuring out who are your models for leaders, how does power and authority work in an organization and where do you fit and how well do you assume that or not? We do an exercise with Play-Doh where you represent your current team with Play-Doh and sometimes just using <sighs> that medium in a different way helps you realize things like, whoa, Billy is three feet to the left of everyone else. What does that mean? You know, <laughs> So that, that can be kind of helpful and insightful for folks. I also teach levels of listening. So we talked a little bit earlier about the importance of being focused in a conversation and then they go and practice a one-on-one with a person they don't know. And that is like people's favorite part. It's it's daunting as a, as a facilitator to say, goodbye, everyone. Thanks for paying me your money. Now go away for one hour. But <laughs> in truth, they come back and they feel really connected to someone else there. They've been able to sort of deep dive with each other and, and share in a confidential context what's been going on. And it makes the room happen. Once they get back, we sort of pull things together, I give them a little homework for the evening, and then we go out and have a drink and everybody is just so chatty after that. And so that's the first day, and then the second day we do an exercise called highs and lows where everybody has to identify their two high points and two low points as a manager so far. And man, that can be really heartbreaking. You just see this pattern Across the board, you know, they hang them up on the wall in in a certain formation. And you just see this pattern that it's the people stuff that is so hard. And it's also the people stuff that is really celebrated, although we do hear about this was an amazing launch, or we really made this deadline work. But by and large, the stuff that is crushing for people is you know, I had to lay someone off, I had to give this hard feedback, you know, all those things. And luckily, that's what I'm good at. So that's really rejuvenating for the room. And that's what they've been training the day before on, but it's just really community oriented for them to hear it from each other. And then the rest of the day is also spent another one on one where they have to hold accountability with each other for something that they're going to do when they get back to their desks on Monday following. And then I graduate them and we have a little ceremony where they all have to declare leadership mission statements. It's pretty great.
0: That is awesome.
1: So, we've had a handful of people from Thoughtbot who've become managers attend the training since you were last on the show. And obviously, we went into it saying, like, yeah, report back. Is Mm -hmm. this going to be valuable to people? And you've probably gathered since we've sent more people that the feedback was really positive and people get a lot out of it and feel like it equips them for something that we clearly weren't doing internally, but also it seems like there's value in getting outside of your normal routine, Mm -hmm. the normal people that you work with. Even if I were to sort of sit down and Mm -hmm. do this with people, I don't know that it would be as valuable as doing it with strangers.
2: No, it's such a great point. And I actually have a question to throw back at you about that because I want to confirm for you that it is different than doing something Mm in-house. I do a similar training, well, elements of the similar training in-house and it is categorically different because the people that you are processing these human relationships with are sitting in the room with you. So there is a ceiling to which you may feel like you can admit or um, profess or process some of that stuff in that space. It's really good to be in a place where, and this is why we also cap it at, we try to keep it at three people per company. Each cohort is only 22 people, so it's a pretty small group. But we cap it at three people per company because if you come with all your coworkers, then you don't realize it. It seems maybe like a fun experience, but actually more than three people in a room start to overtake the conversation. And also there's some freedom in the exploration that can happen when you're with strangers. Chad, my question back to you is, and this might be more anecdotal, I don't know to what extent you work with them on a day-to-day basis, but the folks that have come through manager training, what do you notice about them when they come back to work? Is there anything that is perceivable from your vantage point?
1: I think probably the most notable thing is That the people who have done the training, especially if they've never managed anybody before, Mm -hmm. seem more confident with the uncertainty Mm. as opposed to being afraid of the uncertainty of what they haven't done before. Yeah. And I think because they've had a fun experience and they've been in a group of peers who are going through the same thing that they are, that it just is like, yeah, no one knows. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone has this. Totally. Everyone has this fear and they just come back a little bit more confident and excited to tackle that unknown as opposed to being afraid of it.
0: Yeah, that's what I think strikes me. I haven't been through this training, but in you know meeting with other mm-hmm. peers outside of Thoughtbot or going through other kinds of leadership training, there's actually, I think, a ton of validation that comes from hearing people at other companies having the same challenges and problems. Whereas if you're only working on it internally, Sometimes there can crop up this feeling of like, this is a big problem that we have, and it's unique Mm. to us, and we just can't solve it, rather than this is a universal challenge. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, here are some Mm -hmm. tools to do better.
2: Absolutely. And there's so much value in hearing how other people are tackling these things. People leave with good ideas to make their own teams and organizations stronger. People who are already doing very strong things and who share that get the you know, the street cred now that Thoughtbot's doing this great thing. We should do it like Thoughtbot, right? So there's there's even an, a marketing aspect of sorts. And then, you know, of course, the way I think about the attendees is that, you know, by and large, they're pretty early in their management career. So they're the only place these people are going is interesting places after this, right? They're gonna keep either staying internal where they are and keep getting more senior and getting more experience or at some point, because this is real life, they will pursue other companies or other organizations or maybe even start their own thing one day. And so it's exciting to me to build a network of emerging leaders who are coming grounded from this concept of vulnerability can be very strong, but also we have to make hard decisions sometimes. So we're not going to be able to avoid every once in a while breaking someone's heart, right? That's just real life. And Chad, to your point, I think that the ability to see that camaraderie externally from an organization also allows them to discern, am I having a problem with my company right now? Or am I actually just having a problem getting my arms around this role or handling this level of conflict in my role, et cetera, et cetera. For the first time next year, we're going to do a reunion because I had this experience where I've now been through nine of these and every cohort, I'm like, can we all just hang out for dinner every week? Like, I love these people. They're so interesting and so great. And I thought. Man, how random. If you came to cohort two, you don't know anybody in cohort nine other than a little bit via Slack. And so we're going to do reunion next year. And my intention for that is it'll be a training, sort of like a 2.0, right? Follow up to now your manager. And I will teach workshops. So I want to teach a workshop um, about the anatomy of power, certainly about managing up and uh, moving into more senior roles. But I'm also going to open a call for proposals from the alumni to submit their own talks because. The next step for them in their careers after they get sort of the baseline how to manage is going to be, okay, great. Now, what's your theory on these things? How do you see this playing out? Bring us a case study. Talk to us about that. And that's going to really bulk up their career as managers. I would love for someone to do a talk for... I came to now your manager and I'm now an IC again, right? Like, because that's real also that career progression happens too. And, and so I'm really excited to open that up for them to come and share their thought leadership, which would be great for their companies and their, their own careers as well.
1: It's like a plucky conference. So you don't, yeah. You can set it on your own terms, just like you've yes. been doing with the trainings.
2: Exactly. It's, oh, it's so funny you say that because we just booked the dates. It's going to be next May and it'll be in Portland and it's going to be at this elementary school turned hotel, which I think is just so cute. And <laughs> the only dates they had, as soon as my assistant Holly told me them, I, I said, oh, crap. I think that is open house night at my son's first grade class. Like all it's weird that I already know that for May, but I do. <laughs> and I immediately called the elementary school and I was like, can you confirm is May 14th the night where they show you all the work the kid did all year? And they were like, yep. And I was like, damn it. And so I spent like three days thinking, what am I doing? Am I going to take this, which is really the best time of year for us to do the reunion? Am I not, And that's the venue I want and all those things. Or not and and try to mess around with that and then go and attend my kids open house and in this case I have decided to skip open house and my husband's going to go and I'm sure that is fine in the long game but those are the kind of decisions as a working mom and you know when I have the flexibility of calling my own dates in that one case I actually didn't have as much flexibility it's <laughs> like really needing to soul search for a couple of days but you know I say that as any parent who's listening to this probably has to make decisions and I just want to tell you, your kid will be fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the things that I struggle with as well. I think it most often comes up when I'm traveling to our other studios and and there's a parent-teacher meeting or something like that in the morning. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And I definitely try to schedule the travel around it, but it's not always possible. Totally. And so- thankfully we're in the privileged position of having two parents that can, that, you know, and we can trade off when needed and we're both working. So thankfully we're in that privileged position.
2: Chad, how do you, um, I don't want to say make up for it. Like, Oh, I come home and buy them ice cream. That's really not where I'm going, but (laughs) how do you maybe catch up on what you have missed while you've been away with, with regard to parenting?
1: Well, For things like the conferences and for the work share, um, they often do bring that home. And I make a point of taking it aside and having them go over it and celebrating Mm -hmm. it. One time, my wife and I both couldn't go to the work share and the school was really great. They actually had us come in on another morning Mm. before school started so that uh, our daughter could share her work with us just one-on-one. So we're really lucky to have a school that was able yeah, to supportive. accommodate that.
2: Okay. I'm going to steal that idea. I'm going to ask my first grade teacher I <laughs> yeah. it before. It's a good idea. <laughs> Do you want me to pull some cards for you both?
1: Ooh. Yeah. So you mentioned the manager pack, which is new. And what is different about managers who manage managers as opposed to managers who manage people who aren't managers?
2: So the reason that I even did a second pack is, you know, my coaching clients have evolved a little bit. I would say that a vast majority are now managers, not necessarily ICs, although I still have some of those. And we would be getting in these really good conversations about not only my clients own career trajectory or own journey, but also the trickle down effects of their team. So I might be prompting them to say like, who's a superstar lately. Are you worried about retention with this person? Are you, know, how are we being thoughtful about that? Or team dynamics? Like, oh my gosh, Jen, the thing I want to talk to about today is these two people on my team who are not getting along. I don't know what to do. And so we were doing so much like meta work, I want to say. <laughs> so it wasn't about my client themselves, but it was about their team, which of course is their responsibility at work. And so much good stuff was coming up. And one afternoon I thought, damn, you know who should really be hearing this insight? their boss, like their manager should be hearing these challenges and gaps in what really could be working well at the organization. Because, you know, it was really just gems coming through in our conversation about, I want to do what this thing says in the process, but I don't have the power to ask for that information. Or I need to triangulate with this other person. And I have no skin in the game, right? I'm an external coach. I can't give them any of that information. So anyway, I thought, ugh, okay, who's busier than a manager? Oh, a manager of managers. Those people, as you both all know, you all have so many things on your calendar that it can be even harder to wrangle a time for a one-on-one from you or even a more casual conversation. And so I thought, okay, well, it is very true that the questions that you would want to prompt in a one-on-one if you are managing managers need to not only relate to this individual's career and job and stress level and burnout stuff themselves, but also how aware are they of the other people who report to them? Cause that's like major. <laughs> you know, your managers are um, linchpins for the organization. They allow you as the highest levels on the C suite, they allow you to like delegate that well being, right? And that you don't have to know how every single person at the organization is doing, so long as you trust the managers are doing that. And in order to trust that the managers are doing that, you need to check in with them from time to time about that kind of stuff. So I don't know if that lays it out enough, but I will, uh, let me see what a good one might be. Lindsay, do you yeah, wanna Yeah, pull first? a card. And, yeah. Uh...
0: Well, I'm currently not managing managers. I have individual okay. contributors.
2: All right, cool. That's okay, I'm gonna get a good one for you. All right, Lindsay, I don't know you from anyone, but I cannot wait to hear your answer. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the category on the card is leadership. And there's two questions or or I should say, there's a fundamental question and there's a follow-up. That's how the cards work for manager pack. So the question is, what do you believe about authority? And the follow-up to that, (laughs) hope you had some coffee today. The um, follow-up to that is tell me about how your team respects your authority. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, I think my, the first thing that comes to mind for me about authority is that The way I believe authority should work is that it should be something that's earned, which I think is related to the respect question. Obviously that's not a universal truth in society, in companies, but I think authority can actually be most effective when it is earned leadership. How do you earn it? Uh, I think some of it's through track record. Um, So being able to deliver, but also being able to be a inspiring leader of things, of projects, of activities of the company, Um, being able to get others to get excited and productive about a certain mission.
2: Mm -hmm. It's interesting because some of, I feel like a lot of um, what you're sharing is stuff that any person has control over, right? Yourself. You have control over your track record to some extent. You have control over delivering or at least making efforts to deliver and to connect to your own version of what an inspiring leader would be to you. And I also think a dimension of authority, at least on org charts, is that someone has named you a thing, right? Mm. You get named CMO or whatnot. And I wonder how does that play into like the naming of the power? I guess that's from the
0: next tier of authority is not only have you proven yourself to maybe be the people on your team or your peers, but have you proven yourself to your authority, to the people that you report to in a mm. way that was so compelling that they would like to you know, bring you up to a higher mm. level of responsibility.
2: Totally. And how does your team respect your authority? How can you tell that it's working?
0: How can I tell that it's working? I think just when things are operating smoothly. Um yeah. so that there's trust from peer to peer, there's trust up and down, you know, there's no need to micromanage conversations are happening out in the open. That's when things feel like they're really mm-hmm. healthy and probably as
2: a result of me doing an okay job. <laughs> I love that because It's so hard to see success sometimes, right? Because it's kind of invisible. Like the fact that it's working and that things are smooth, like that's the gold star. And it's just, it can be very quiet. It's tough because it's a separate
0: thing in a lot of ways than maybe like operational metrics, Mm -hmm. which, you know, hopefully are working as well. And I think one can contribute to that. So if, you know, people are working together really well, you have a better chance of achieving your like tactical goals, but it yeah. also can be separate. You can really miss your tactical goals, but maybe th- things are still healthy on the team. But it's also possible that you're not hitting your tactical goals. Maybe you should be digging into you know, how the team's working together, how they're working with you? And, and is there uh, something to be improved
2: there? Yeah, for me, I feel like everything you're circling around is that kind of emergence into a mature mindset for this stuff, which is not just how does this look on paper? but also how does this feel in the room Mm -hmm. and not going too far that direction either. Right? Like we can't only worry about how everyone is laughing together at lunch. We also have to make sure we are paying the bills and achieving what we set out. Yeah, absolutely. Chad, you want to refund any of that before I ask you one?
1: No. And I'm realizing that I have a a very not different take on actual authority at work, but um, I I definitely rebel against (laughs) certain forms of authority, Mm
2: -hmm. especially
1: when it's not earned.
2: Yeah. Okay. I got one for you, Chad. You ready? Mm-hmm. The topic overall is self-care. And again, there's two questions. So the fundamental question is, what are you doing in your life that is the opposite of managing? And the follow-up to that is, why is this valuable?
1: So I actually went through a period of... I used to say that it was really hard for me to be involved in anything and, and not eventually end up in charge. And I think part of that was because I just I, I do have that skill set, but mm-hmm. I also think part of it is it's hard to go from one organization or team or whatever where I was completely in charge... <laughs> And to then just be uh, not in charge yeah. in another context. So I used to do a lot of theater and those kinds of things and mm. was a producer. And as Thoughtbot grew, I found it harder to, and harder to actively participate in theater because there was no way I could be involved from a management perspective. I just didn't have the time, but mm-hmm. it was difficult for me to context switch out of that and just contribute.
2: Wait, so when you say you were involved in theater And you're a producer, what does that mean? You're backstage or you're paying money So the whole thing can go up? What does that mean?
1: Oh, uh, no, sorry, I I mixed the thing So I, I used to be involved in theater And then we I would also do sketch comedy And that kind of thing And so producer <gasps> in terms of like scheduling the shoots And making sure that everything went well And organizing the schedule And that kind were of stuff Were you ever an actor? Yes, yeah
2: Chad, when is the last time that you did that? A long time ago Do you miss it?
1: Uh, No, no, not really. To be honest, I I don't miss it in part because of this tension. Uh, A lot of my friends were the the, the people that I had the tension with. And so it ended actually quite poorly the last thing I did. And so that actually helped create a clean Mm -hmm. break and see like, you know, this isn't worth doing anymore if I'm not going to enjoy it. And so I was able to sort of put it aside and say, yeah, it's not for me right now.
2: So is there anything, if theater is not in the picture at the moment, what are you doing that's opposite of managing today, if there's anything?
1: I play in a Dungeons & Dragons online (sighs) group. We've been playing together for a long, long time, but we uh, play every Thursday night online together. It's mostly just a video game, but... I have no responsibilities.
2: (laughs) I was going to say, are you the dungeon master?
1: (laughs) No, no, I have no responsibilities. It's not even real D&D. It's just a video game called D&D online. Mm-hmm. And so there's no one needs to organize anything. No one needs to do anything. We just have to show up mm-hmm. and play. Mm-hmm. That is probably the thing that is furthest away. Cause even the things I do, like, you know, I run a lot, I do a lot of stuff with my family. You're still in a position sure. of like, if that wasn't happening, if I wasn't self-managing, if yes. I wasn't making sure that I set my alarm and committing to it and doing it, That's still some amount of management. So the D&D video game thing is like the furthest away from management totally.
2: Mm. And why is it valuable?
1: Part of it is valuable because we've been playing together as a group for like 20 years now.
2: Oh my God.
1: We started in pen and paper and moved online as a bunch of us moved away. And then we moved online to the video game a while ago. Mm. And so it's valuable to me because it's like one of the few long-term connections that I have outside of family. And it's really cool to keep that going and to get together with the same group of people. And now we, a lot of us have kids and and that kind of thing. And so it's just Mm -hmm. neat to keep it going. We actually um, got together for the first time as like families last year for like a board game day and we all we all Mm -hmm. brought our kids and because a lot of the kids are old enough to play now yeah and so that that was a lot of fun but again i wasn't responsible for organizing anything (laughs) i just needed to show up with with some kids totally
2: well i think that oh my god i love that Lindsay. i don't know about you i'm like weeping over here that's so um (laughs) 20 years is impressive 20 years, that's like so good. I mean, so the underpinning of that question, just to reveal is that, and I talk about this in the training too, is that you can't be a good leader if you are never practicing being a follower. And what I mean by that is that you need empathy for what it feels like to be a follower and what it feels like to not be the person calling what time things start and leading the meeting. And you've got to have something in your life to keep you afloat in that kind of balanced way. For some people, you know, they call it even because they go to yoga class and in yoga class, they are a student, right? And that counts too, because even in yoga class, maybe you show up late and your mat's at the back of the room and there's a fan near your head and you can't hear what the directions are, right? And that gives you some instruction in that moment, like, man, for the people who show up and have to take the back row it can be hard to hear the leader. How does that translate for my stand-up tomorrow morning, right? Just things like that. Metaphorically, it's. I think it's really important. So I'm so happy that you have that outlet, Chad. That sounds really great. And honestly, it just sounds relaxing as all hell. <laughs> I do not play D&D, but my husband does, or he does from time to time. And now I'm totally going to be like, honey, you have to go make friends for 20 years and <laughs> play it online together. <laughs> oh, awesome.
1: So... That was really cool. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: If people want to get in touch with you or find out more about the training or the cards or Mm -hmm. anything at all, where are all the best places for them to do that?
2: So probably the best place is the website. It's beplucky.com, B-E, like the verb. And... uh, In terms of the trainings coming up, so our last one of the year, which we still have tickets for, will be November 14th and 15th, and it's in San Francisco. It's going to be hosted by Code for America, so that's right in a very accessible place for everyone, so they should totally come. If they want cards, they should go to beplucky.com and go to the shop. And then they can choose those things. We've also got some other products on there. And there's, you know, a blog. I, I send a newsletter every month. I try to make it not annoying, but really the opposite of that. So I'm trying not to sell too much in that, but more just to be like a bright spot in people's inboxes. I think a lot of newsletters are a little heavy and long. So I try to keep that light. So they should sign up for that. And I can send you that stuff for the show notes too.
0: Great thanks so much for coming on and sharing with us and and putting us in the hot seat a little bit today,
2: oh yeah, listen. It's the funnest part for me because this is funny to say, but even though it maybe seems persona wise and from Twitter and from all these things that a facilitator like myself wants to be the center of attention all the time, in truth, if you really look at all the work I'm doing. I am the backstage, right? I'm the person who is either empowering the voice of someone else or helping other people to find their own versions. So it's always a little bit funny and awkward to talk about myself and my own story, because that is never the front of my days. My days is always about other people's stories. So that made it feel right at home for me. Well, thanks again, Jen awesome. You can subscribe to the show and find
0: notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And
1: you can find me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarsky. Thanks for listening and see See
2: you next next time. time. This podcast was brought to you by
1: ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, let's build something great together.